Alright, last week we uh, finished up our little duplex on marriage and I uh, told you we'd be moving into something else today. I didn't know what that was going to be until um, last Tuesday in our Tuesday morning class we were talking about something and something kind of popped up at me and I said, well, I'll expand on that today. We're we talking about Fear of God. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, to come to your house today, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to study your word, Father, and we look forward to seeing what you have for us. We ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive it, Father, and to take myself out of the way and let your true message shine through. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Fear of God. The Bible uses the word fear around 300 times when it's in reference to God. Genesis 42 and 18, And Joseph said unto them on the third day, This do I live, for I fear God. 1 John 4 and 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. See, it's funny because we talk about the fear of God, but yet God casts out all fear. Anybody got anything they're fearful of? Anything that makes you nervous? Some people are, are fearful of heights. The darkness is a source of fear for some. Confined spaces. We worry about monsters in the closet. We worry about them under the bed. Things like dogs, spiders, snakes. These things that make us fearful. Wasps, bees, mice. We worry about things that we have no control over, like dying, like getting hurt. We have fear of running out of provision. Running out of finances, running out of things. We sometimes fear people. We are fearful about what people think, what they think of us. If we all search ourselves, we all have something that we're fearful of. We're afraid of what might happen. And that's the thing. The, these, all these things I listed off, they're a catalyst for really for something else. For example, if you're afraid of heights, it's not so much being up high, it's the fact you're afraid you're going to fall from that height and cause yourself death or harm. It's not the actual dark that we're scared of. We're scared of what might be lurking in it that we can't see. And the, the things... The monsters, the clowns, the dolls, the ghosts, and all them things that might get us. We're scared of what, what they might do to us, real or not. And things like dogs, and spiders, rats, and snakes, and horses. They have ability to inflict pain on our body if they so choose to do so. So you see, the pattern here I'm trying to establish is 
is that everything comes down in fear of something that's going to kill us, hurt us, or cause us discomfort in some form of way. It is a cause and effect. You're scared of heights and you have to ascend a ladder. You're thinking, well, if I fall, this is going to hurt. So this is our mentality that we have for life. We have a cause and effect. We see that fear is something that we have because we're scared of what it might do to us. So when we say the words fear of God, for many of us, that translates into what is God going to do to us? And we see examples of how God took action. There was a great flood. Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of stock. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. There were the plagues in Egypt. There are many examples of entire groups of people being slaughtered at God's command. There was even a couple in Acts that would drop dead due to their actions. So oftentimes we see God as this punisher. So we say fear of God. We're scared of him because of what he might do. Now that don't seem to work too much today because there's a lot of evil going on in the world. It seems like that oftentimes is going unchecked. That nobody's doing anything about it, especially God. So people get an image that God's not doing these things anymore. He's no longer taking out the baddies. He's no longer stopping evil. So is he not there? Does he not care? We're living in a different time. We live under grace. We live under the blood of Jesus. We have to live under faith. So God cannot take action on each and every negative event, on each and every negative person. He can't stop sin as soon as it happens. And why is that, you ask? Well, let me tell you. We have to have faith. And God gives us free will. So if every time that we did something wrong, something negative happened at the hands of God, we would no longer have neither one of them things. First of all, we would know without a shadow of a doubt through the action of God that he is in, is indefinitely real and present because he is interfering with our negative behavior. We also would no longer have free will because we would not would have the choices made up for us. If we know that a negative action is going to happen, then we are not going to do the behavior that's going to cause a negative action. Our choice is made for us. We would have no free will. We'd have no faith. So that would be two. So thirdly, God does not want to punish us. God wants us to repent. 
through conviction of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to realize our sin. He wants us to come to terms with it. And He wants to come, us to come to Him and to seek forgiveness. 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to, and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have all made mistakes. We are all sinners. We have all sinned. We have all done bad things. So, if that was the end of it, if we were punished instantly for the time that we did something bad, then there would be no salvation because none of us could move forward. God wants us to repent. God wants us to change. God wants us to convert. But what we want is is something different. When somebody hurts us, when somebody does us wrong, our first thought is we want payback. We want revenge. We want justice. We want restitution. We want God to take action and strike them down. God wants something different. Because God loves them just as much as He loves us. Many times we are hurt by the ones that love us the most. Like our spouse. Our one. We just got done talking about that. Our one. And in these situations, we don't want revenge. We don't want to hurt them. What we do want is we want them to understand why we are hurt. We want them to understand that they did hurt us, that they did cause us pain. So and that's why we do some of the things that we talked about last week. I hope you're seeing that you missed a good message last week and you need to go back and listen to it. We talked about it last week, how we hold things back. We hold back our emotions. We hold back our love. We hold back doing things. We give them the cold shoulder. We hold back our intimacy. We do all these things to try to make them say that they are wrong and that they are sorry. Our children, our children, they hurt us because they do things that we don't want them to do. Or they don't do the things they are supposed to do. And then many times they try to cover it up. They try to make it not seen. So what do we do as a parent? We have to have some form of punishment. We have to make them understand. It's our responsibility to make them understand that what they did is wrong. So... They won't do it again. We have to teach them. So while we're on that subject, I want you to think back. You know, back whenever you was a child. You ever remember them times that something happened? You know, you messed up. Maybe you got a bad grade. Maybe you did something wrong. You broke something. Have you ever had, had your mom tell you, well, wait till your father gets home. Wait till we tell your father about this. You know, it's like a, it's a little bit of a, a psychological warfare there because now you have to think about it. You have to think about you know, what's going to happen. 
And uh, so we know that there is a, a talk coming, that we are going to have to talk about this situation. And what's so bad about them talks? Because, you know, probably if I took a poll today, we'd probably, most of you, if you remember back then, you'd probably just rather go ahead and have to spank him, be done with it, than have to deal with this talk. These talks are just so bad. So, that fear, that dread of this talk. You know, we're not going to get hurt. Not physically. We're, we're not going to get killed. We're not going to be exiled. We're not going to be locked away. And if the punishment is to be had, it's not something we're not going to be able to survive. We'll get through it. It's only a limited amount of time. So what is it about that talk that is so disheartening? Why so much dread and fear? Because we are, are letting someone down. And the father is the leader of the family. He is the provider. It's someone that we look up to and we love. That demands respect, and we do. We have a reverence. We have a respect. And that's the thing about fear. It has multiple meanings. One is to be scared of something, a dread. But it also means to reveal. It means to respect. In Genesis 42 and 18, Joseph, he had earned the respect of his brothers because he declared that he feared God. Exodus 1 and 17, but the midwives feared God, as did not the king of Egypt command them, but saved the men children alive. See, people, they tell us to do stuff all the time. You know, people are constantly influencing others. You know, that's a big thing today. There's like jobs now that didn't even exist before because of things like social media. We have influencers, and their purpose in life is to direct people to a certain place, a certain thing, a certain activity. They have lots of followers, they have lots of influence, so they push people in a direction. We have the world that tells us things. Okay, this is okay, or that is okay. Well, this is how we do things now. It's socially acceptable. It's politically correct. The world drives us. And then we have our flesh that tells us to do things as well. Because it feels good. It's nice. Well, I deserve it. So we have all these things telling us to do stuff. But yet we only have one true authority. And that is God. His authority is the one that is the truth. That what he says is what goes. Because he is the one that knows what's best. He is known what is best for us. And he knows what is best for mankind as a whole. He knows what the future is.
And if you believe that, if you believe that God is number one, if you believe that what God says is the absolute truth, what God says is what should be done over everything else, that God is the absolute authority and what he does is in our best interest because he loves us, then that is what it means to fear God. Genesis 22 and 1. And it came to pass that after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he sent and said to him, Abraham, he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Morah, and offer him for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morn, he saddled his ass, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose up and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar of. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide he with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon son of Isaac, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and both of them together. And Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son, he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb of the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they both went them together. And they came to the place where God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there. He laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar of wood. And Abraham stressed forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Lay not a hand upon the lad, neither do you anything to him. For now I know that you are thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. Now Abraham, he was told by God to take your son, head up into the mountains, make a sacrifice of him. That sounds pretty crazy. You know, and for a long time, I thought that was pretty crazy too. You know, and through... Study and God showing more things to me. I see this is just a part of a bigger picture, and there was a purpose for all this in God's plan. But for many of us, if God had told us this, God tells us a lot of things. We simply say, No, that sounds crazy. But Abraham was a God fearing man. He believed exactly what I just was telling you. That God knows best. God is the authority. If God says it, then there has to be a reason for it. He also knows that God keeps his promise. God promised him this son. God told him that this son will be the father. Of, he was, he's going to be the father of many nations. That this, had, this son had to be in place for all this to happen. God keeps his promises. God had a covenant with Abraham. He also knows that God always provides. That in the right moment, He did. And it was this obedience, it was this fear of God that was 
crucial in the part of the plan that brought Jesus to all of us to be a sacrifice. We see a great example of faith here in Abraham. Because, you know, somewhere in the back of his mind, you'd think he had to be sweating it out. I mean, we're down to the last seconds here. And I'm sure that poor little Isaac was sweating it out too. It's like, you know, Dad, what are you doing here? What are we doing? It's not making any sense. God's never early. God's never late. God's always right on time. We're not here for God's entertainment. We're not some little ant farm for God to look at and play with and to entertain. God don't need us for that. We're here because God has a plan and we're all part of it. Relationships are hard. We talked for the last two weeks about marriage and the difficulty of it. And we take about taking two different people and how we merge them together with God and make a change. And that change is hard. Being a parent is hard. But everything that we do that we love is hard. Everything has challenges and everything takes hard works, patience, practice. But the thing is, when it comes to the things that we really want, we manage to find the time. We find the funds. We can push through the pain when we need to. We make a way. We find a way to do what is important to us. Go back to when we we're dating and we find that special person. We go all out. We try to be the best version of ourselves that we can be so they want to be with us. When we have a baby, a newborn, that child comes into our life, there's things like sleeping and showers that we take for granted each and every day. We set those things aside to take care of this new child that's been put in our life. We will work hard and we will save up to get that next new thing that we want. We will study really hard to pass that big test or get that next promotion. We will carve out time in our schedule to watch a ball game, to go to the kids' plays, and to attend a party. We do our best not to let down our friends and our family. But what about God? Do we do our best not to let him down? I could ask you today. Do you love God? Do you respect God? Do you admire God? Do you fear God? What would your answer be? We're sitting here in church on a Sunday morning. You call yourselves a Christian? You're saved by the blood of Jesus? Of course, your answer should be an outstanding yes to all these questions. We've talked about words. 
Words mean nothing. Words is what we use to cover the fact that we have no good fruits to bear. Words cover the fact that we have no good works. It's our actions. It's our actions that speak volume. What does our actions say about how we feel about God? We have some people out there roaming the world that they do nothing for God. Why? Because they don't believe in Him. They don't believe He's real. They don't believe He's there. They don't care. They think we are foolish. And then we have the next step up. You know, well, maybe. Maybe there's something to all this. You know, I don't want to take that chance and be wrong, so maybe I will accept salvation. Maybe I'll get my fire insurance just to be on the safe side. So they come a time or two. They accept Jesus and then nothing more. The next rung up the ladder, we have some that that do all that, and yet they'll still check in every once in a while, maybe a few times a year, come to church and say, hey God, I'm still here, still doing my part. And then another rung up, we have some that, hey, I'll come when there's nothing better to do. When the sports team ain't playing, when the race ain't on, I'll come every now and then. But then we have some that really, really try. They're there. They're doing their part. They're doing all they can for the Lord. It's a wide spectrum. Where do you fall on that spectrum? And where do you want to be on it? So many times we want to have people look at me, look at me, look what I can do. I've read this, I've learned that, I've memorized this. I do this, I give that, I help that. We're not here for our glory. It's not about us, it's about Him. about God grace is an amazing thing the blood of Jesus it covers all of our sins and God chooses God chooses not to remember it anymore it's done and that's great because we all have things that we want God to forget But then there are other things. You know, we can't hide behind the fact that I wasn't saved then. We can't hide behind the fact that I didn't know. We can't hide behind the fact that I didn't realize it was a sin. Because we know that we're forgiven. We know that we can be forgiven again. That God covers us. That the blood of Jesus took away all sin, past, present, and future. But that doesn't mean that we can keep doing 
The same thing over and over again. Forgiveness requires repentance. So if we're one of the ones that is constantly hurting others, that are being selfish, that are lying, stealing, cheating, doing all of this with reckless abandonment just to further their selves, and thinking you're forgiven because you accepted Jesus a long time ago, that is not repentance. And if you think that is okay, you better check your heart because maybe you're not quite as saved as you thought you were. So God sees everything that we do, all the good and all the bad. And there's a record of it. Revelation twenty two twelve. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. To give every man according to his work shall be. And in my King James Bible, that is written in red, being the words of Jesus. You know, as I was writing these notes down, I was thinking about this. I wonder how many people truly, despite what they say, truly believe that we are going to heaven and one day are going to be face to face with Jesus. here's why I ask this. Because early in this message, I talked about how we dreaded when we got in trouble. How when we were going to get talked to about our behavior. How we had to face up to our actions and how we were letting someone down that we look up to, that we admire, and that we love. And how bad that made us feel. And I know it got to you all a little bit because I can see the expression on your faces. So if we all feel this way, how do you think it's going to feel when we are standing face to face with our Lord and Savior? And he's standing there and he's handing out rewards. And he's saying things like, good job, my faithful servant. Imagine being in that line. And you watch him walk away one by one. Carrying whatever it is. Hearing those words in the distance that you're waiting to step up. What is that going to be like? When we have to face all the things we've done. Knowing the truth. And to go rabbit hunting for a little bit further. Let's think about that. Now Jesus, he's already given us salvation, forgiveness. He's given us a place in heaven. He's given us a place in the family of God. He's given us his power. And he's given us all these things just for believing and accepting Him. We did nothing to earn it. Nothing. Given to us for love. Given to us by grace. So, He says there's more. That when we get to heaven, He's going to look at our works. He's going to look what we did. He's going to look at the fruit we bared. And He's going to give us rewards on it. 
So I have to think, I have to imagine, what can these rewards be that we earn? People have been trying to earn stuff from God. We try to earn our salvation, but there are things we can earn. We can be doing things right now to earn something from God. You want it? He gave it to you. You've got something you can earn. Now, this is just something a little bit fun to think about. These are just my thoughts. Just something that popped into my head. There's nowhere in the Word of God that puts any fact to it. But just, just something to think about. Just something to think about for a minute. Just Because we don't know what these rewards are. We don't know a whole lot about heaven other than we want to be there. That is grand. We'll find out one day. You know, the, the Word tells us that we're going to have a glorified body. That's one thing we know we're going to have when we get to heaven is a glorified body. You know, that can mean a lot of things. You know, a glorified body is one that is not going to age. It's not going to decay. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to get sick. Well, that's enough for me, right? I mean, heck, what more could you want? So that's a glorified body. But what about this? What about if the appearance of that body is going to be based on your works? What about all these ones that just barely got by? That they got their fire insurance? Okay, well, here's your fire insurance body. It's not going to decay. It's not going to age. It's not going to hurt. But you're only going to be four foot tall. You're going to be bald headed and pot bellied. And then all the saints, they're going to look like supermodels. So all the rest of us, we're going to have to fall somewhere in between. Again, just something fun to think about. We're all concerned about the right now. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do tomorrow? And we plan. We plan for our earthly future. We have college funds for our children. We have retirement plans. We have insurance. But you know, this is just a small part of our lives. This is just a, a, a minute. Ain't that the new terminology today? That's the new, the new slang? It's just about a minute? Nah, something like that? I don't know. All right, so this is just a small piece of time. We have all of eternity. And I don't know exactly how long an eternity is, but it sounds like it's a lot. So what are we doing for that? Because I wonder, when we're standing in that line, I don't know why I think there's a line, but we're going to just go with that. When we're standing in that line, you know, ready to, to meet Jesus. Are we going to wish that we had spent an extra day at the beach? Are we going to wish that we had spent more time at work? Are we going to wish that we had... Spent more money on frivolous things? Or are we going to wish we spent more time serving Him? We can all say it with our mouths. We can all open up our mouths and say, I fear God. But what does our action say? Because when we go out and we skip church and start doing other things, that we let other things take our time, that we skip the offering plate, that we 
skip our Bible reading, we skip our study, we skip our spare. When we skip all these things, that is no fear of God. There is no respect. There is no love there. Because we're not concerned about what God's going to do in that moment. We're not concerned about what is going to be in eternity. All we're concerned about is pleasing ourselves right now. We sacrifice for our earthly future. We make sure we hoard some stuff away. We make sure we show up to the job. We make sure we do all these things that we don't want to do now to secure our earthly future, but we do nothing to secure our eternity. We are afraid to die. We are afraid to run out. We are afraid to get hurt. We are afraid to not have enough. We fear what people think. We fear not fitting in. We fear a loss of rights. We fear real things. We fear the things in our head. We fear imaginary things. And we even fear the walking dead. But when it comes to God, we have no fear. You know, I was on a no faith kick for a while now, so maybe I'm going to get on a no fear kick for a while. Remember those t-shirts they used to have back in the day? No fear. You know, the funny thing is, it's really silly because if we do fear the Lord, we don't have to fear anything else. All these other things I've been listing off through the whole entire time, all these other things that you're sitting there in the back of your mind today, that is a fear. If we fear the Lord, we do not have to fear anything else. So, let me ask you, why, don't, why do we not trade that in? Why, instead of having all of these little fears, all these earthly fears, all these imaginary fears, all these fear of things that's probably never, ever going to happen, why are we carrying all them things around we can just have one? One fear that's going to change our entire life. Are you ready to put them down today? Are you ready to put down all the useless fears and pick up the only one that matters? And it's not too late. You know, the longer we go in life, the more fears, phobias, and conditions we build up. But it's not too late to make a change. Today is a good day. Today is as good as day to any to walk out of them doors in a different condition that you walked in on. Today is a good day to say that I am not going to fear the way of the world anymore. Today is a good day to say I am not going to fear my flesh anymore. Today is a good day today to say I am not going to fear Satan. Today is a good day to say that I do fear the Lord. But it has to be more than just making these statements. It has to be an action. So say it today. Make that change today. Break the chains. If you haven't accepted Jesus yet, that's your first step. Accept Jesus in your heart. Admit that you're a sinner. Pray that pair of repentance. Accept Jesus in your heart. And if you have, and you've been bouncing along from fear to fear, 
walking around with a flashlight because you're scared of the dark. We can change that today. You don't have to fear the dark when you have the light of the world in you. Let's make that change. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this opportunity, Father. We thank you for, for being in our lives, Father. And so many times, Father, we have so many things that come against us that push us and pull us and prod us and into a different direction than, than where we need to be, Father. There's so many things in the world that look big and scary, Father, but we know that you are the biggest, that nothing is bigger than you, Father, that nothing casts a shadow over your life. Father, we ask for the strength to be able to realize this, to be able to see it, Father, to be able to open our eyes. The only reason we can't see it is because our eyes are closed, Father, that there's things standing in front of us that we put there in the way, Father. Let us push these things away today. Let us open our eyes, Father. And I ask if anybody there that's standing there in bondage today, Father, may the chains fall off. May they come forward, Father. May they be free. That there's any heart that has a condition today, Father, that only you can fix it. They will not leave in the same state that they are in today. We thank you for this, Father, and ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Page 375.